Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I am here with another album review, another album that really had a, a huge impact on me as a musician, uh, really, and, and is just a, a, a young fan of music and things that just made me happy to listen to. Um, I will preface this episode by saying I really wanted to do much like my Uriah Heap podcast, which was endorsed by Uriah Heap, still is. Um, the uh, There was a, a couple of other bands that I really wanted to do podcasts for, and I have not been able to secure the endorsement to do any of them. I will not do a show uh, on a specific band doing a deep dive without their endorsement. Um, I have tried like hell to get one for Rainbow, have not been able to secure that, unfortunately. Otherwise, I would be doing uh, a deep dive into each and every one of these songs like I di- I've done with Uriah Heep. Um, but that being the case, I don't want to ignore these albums, as all the albums that I'm covering on this show have been ones that are of significant value to me, uh, as with some of the individual songs that I'll be getting to a bit later. Um, but I don't want these albums to go unnoticed. So I definitely wanted to cover these albums. I, but this is why I had waited so long, because I was really hoping that I would just be able to do a deep dive Rainbow podcast, lead that into Blackmore's Night. And then, you know, the the new singles that Rainbow had put out. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, if, if if it does come to fruition and I am able to do it, I will go back and review in depth every one of these songs. But for now, um, I, I at least want to get these albums out there and do my reviews of them. And, you know, I'm still keeping my fingers crossed that I'll get the endorsement to do a podcast for Rainbow at some point. But this album is their first album, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. This came from really the origins come from Elf opening for Deep Purple on tour. Uh, Richie really liking Ronnie and took them and went into the studio and recorded this album and then sacked pretty much everybody except for Ronnie and started getting new players. But they turned out a really, really good album, I think, and one that um, I, you know, the first Rainbow album that I got was Straight Between the Eyes. That I know. I think Richie Blackmore's Rainbow might have been the second one. I uh, remember it was somewhere in the, you know, the late winter, early spring comes to mind. I remember listening to it endlessly in the front room of the house. We had, that was our, our main living room, our only living room. And we had a, a turntable in there with a couple of speakers, but I mostly just, you know, plugged the headphones in and listened like I do now and just enjoyed this album over and over again. I can still smell the vinyl. I remember exactly what it smelled like. Um, enjoyed just gazing at the cover while I would listen to this album. Uh, then eventually, uh, when I got my own stereo, it had a cassette on it. So I dubbed it to cassette so I could just kind of go around wherever and listen to it on my little um, Sony um, cassette player. Those were so cool. You could just strap them to your belt and you could listen to music and go anywhere you wanted. It was the craziest technology back then, but it was the coolest thing ever. Uh, thank God we didn't have that with eight tracks, though, because that would have sucked. Uh, but yeah, this is a great album. Now, this album came out August 4th of 1975 is the date I was able to find, which I had been three years old for about a month when this came out. Now, I would not discover this album for many years later. Uh, like I said, Straight Between the Eyes was the first album that I had heard from Rainbow. And then uh, that led me to uh, my brother and I to going and getting all of their back catalog and waiting for the next album to come out, which would have been Ben Out of Shape. 
by the time that Ben Out of Shape came out, I can tell you, we had all the albums, uh, including the live album. We had played many of these songs as musicians. Um, I'm sure terribly because we, we weren't that skilled back then, but, uh, we had a lot of fun with them. They were, they were great songs to learn. Um, I had a lot of fun playing them. I remember Stone Cold was the first song that I learned and, uh, I had a blast playing that. So, uh, anyway, this album, uh, came out on the, now in America, they wouldn't have known this, but in America, uh, August 4th is actually the middle day of National Clown Week. It starts the 1st through the 7th. And I find it ironic in this country that presidents have a day. We have President's Day, uh, one day to celebrate our president, but we have an entire week to celebrate clowns, most of which uh, just kind of either annoy or frighten people. So that's always fun. And uh, the biggest, at least at the time, the or uh, when I was in Kearney, Nebraska, Kearney, Nebraska had the biggest National Clown Week celebration of anywhere else in the country or the world, because I think it's just a United States thing. And I was not there for it, but I happened to, my my car broke down in Kearney, Nebraska, and I was stuck there for most of a Sunday on my way back to Colorado from Michigan. So uh, that has nothing to do with this album, though. The players on this album are, of course, Richie Blackmore on guitar, Ronnie James Dio on vocals, Mickey Lee Soul on keyboards, Craig Gruber on bass, and Gary Driscoll on drums. And there have been a couple of Rainbow albums that have had deluxe edition releases. I did not see any anything other than a remastered version of this album, but there have been no bonus tracks or anything that I've ever heard of for this one. And uh, for for the other albums, they're mostly like just alternative mixes and things like that. Which is cool because you could hear instruments featured that might have been a little more buried in the mix, or maybe you really want to know what this instrument was doing and you couldn't hear it. So those alternative mixes can be really educational and enjoyable to listen to. Usually I just check them out once or twice and we'll probably never listen to them again. But they're always there if you want them or if you're like, hey, you know what? what was the keyboard during this section doing? And maybe there's a mix where you can hear that keyboard better. So they they definitely have their place for music aficionados or fans of the band, or if you're just fans of a particular song or that album, they can be really cool. But as far as this album goes, there's nothing. So we've just got the nine songs. And um, I know that there are a couple of songs on here that are actually covers Richie was not opposed to doing that. Um, From what I heard in an interview with him, he said that he had brought some covers to the band. Black Sheep of the Family was one of them. And the band Purple said, uh, why do we need to do someone else's songs when we can write our own? And I get that. Um, Yeah, why would you do that? Unless there's just a song that you're like, you know what, let's just have fun with it. Of course, nowadays, their attitude has completely changed. The last couple of albums, they've had cover songs out. Their last album was a cover album because that was the only thing that they could really record during COVID. And they did a fantastic job on it, I must say. Um, It is called Turning to Crime. If you haven't checked that out, check that out. But this is The Origin of Rainbow. Uh, Richie had left Purple. He was unhappy with the direction of the band. Stormbringer was a very different album uh, for them, especially coming after a powerhouse like Burn. And um, Stormbringer was very bluesy. Richie didn't care for it and decided that that was enough. I always thought that was curious, though. Um, Having done a successful album like Burn, it seems like they could have changed the direction and gone back to that. Maybe there was some resistance there. I really don't know what happened, but it seems like they could have done that if that was what Richie wanted to do. 
However, he decided that he had had enough and he's formed Rainbow. And I'm really glad he did because every single one of their albums has great value to me and to a lot of other people I know. But this one, uh, this was the first and uh, it's very unique. This is the only album that all these guys appear on, that this was the end of Elf. Basically, they disbanded to become Rainbow and then Richie disbanded them. (laughs) So that tended to happen a lot with Rainbow, a lot of turnover in that band. But I digress. The first song, and this is interesting to me too, because I've never thought that this was a really particularly heavy sounding album. But to be fair, I never thought Machine Head was a particularly heavy sounding album. It just overall, it has this kind of a a mellow sheen over the sound to me. And it's it's very pleasant, don't get me wrong, but I think it undercuts some of that power and push of the album. Just maybe it was the way it was mastered or what, I'm not sure. Uh, mastering was so completely different back in those days. But uh, I kind of feel the same with this. Like Man on the Silver Mountain, it's got good distortion in the guitar. I don't feel it's a particularly heavy song. And maybe it was because I had become very accustomed to the live version from on stage, which is very heavy. And that was the only other version I had heard of it for many years. Uh, of course, now so many other live albums from those eras have come out. But I I like th- this version of it, but it's, it's very slow and it's not very heavy. This album does not have a heavy sound, despite some of the songs really having that potential. Like if you don't like rock and roll, that's kind of could be a heavy song. Um, Black Sheep of the Family could be kind of heavy. But overall, the album just does not have a particularly heavy sound to me. And maybe I'm more used to bands like Metallica that have that really, you know, just grinding guitar sound and and just the overall level of the album just seems heavier. I don't know. But in any case, I don't find this to be a heavy album, but I find it to be a highly enjoyable album. So I could babble on about my history with this album forever. I'm not going to do that. Uh, any more than I already have. Let's just get right into the music. Here is one of Rainbow's most well-known songs kicking off the introduction of Rainbow on record. And this is Man on the Silver Mountain. I really liked this version of the song. Um, Don't get me wrong what I said earlier about not finding it to be a particularly heavy song, um, but I I really do like the song. I like the guitar sound. I think he's got a good level of distortion. Um, I like that slight flange that's in it. That sounds good. The drums sound nice. Um, Everything, really, it's a great mix. The song comes together well. Great vocal, of course, from from Ronnie. Can't go wrong with Ronnie James Dio on one of your songs. But... um, Yeah, this is a song that I I think was a great introduction for the band. You kind of got a gist of where they were at. There's a little bit of mysticism in the song, but it's it's a good one. And and as soon as it started, you know, as soon as the guitar kicked in, I just went immediately back to sitting in the front room, looking out the window. I remember there were patches of snow on the ground, so it had to have been in the springtime in Michigan. 
and a very, very wonderful song to kick off the album and give people a sense of who Rainbow was. And of course, you know, once the uh, the live version came out, that just kicked it into a whole nother gear. And while I don't normally cover live albums, uh, Rainbow on Stage is one I will cover. That's one that I have listened to many times. And it was, um, I think, probably the first live album I really ever got into. And then Made in Japan would have been next. So as I'm covering the Purple albums as well, uh, I will be covering Made in Japan. Both very, especially as a drummer. I mean, the mule, that whole drum solo, um, I could probably do a, an entire episode on that alone, but I won't because I'm not endorsed to do that either. Maybe one of these days we shall see. Uh, that brings us to our next song, which is one that I've always just loved the mood of this. Uh, I, I thought it's just a very intriguing song, and it is called Self Portrait. One thing I will say now, and we will come to see this as these songs go on, is that Gary Driscoll did love his cowbell. <laughs> there is no doubt about that for me. This uh, this album has a lot of cowbell in it. And I don't mind, you know, as a drummer, I like the sound of a cowbell when it's well used. And I think that his, his use is very tasteful on this album. Uh, but it kicks off the song. The song, I just love the mood of it. It's It's kind of dark, but not at the same time. It's patient. It's drawn out. Uh, love the keyboards on it too, because they just kind of keep you swirling around what's going on in the song. Great lyrics. This is a great indicator of, uh, you know, that Ron James Dio was definitely meant to be in Black Sabbath at some point, I think. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's got such a great mood and feel to it. I really like the drums on this, just those two accents. Um, I'm not sure if that's a hi-hat or a muted tambourine, but just that det 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 um, really, really adds a nice and different accent to it because it's just not just a straight beat as it would be, you know, if you didn't have that. So I really like that accent. I love the cowbell at the beginning. Um, I love the solo on this one. It's really like right on the edge of overplaying the song, but just doesn't for me. I talk about that on the Uriah Heat podcast a lot about how Mick Box really knows where that line is of being too flashy versus playing for the song. He definitely has the talent. Richie's got the talent to do it, but he really knows how to just be in the moment in the song and play a solo that just fits. And I think the fact that he doesn't plan out most of his solos has a lot to do with that because it allows him to just close his eyes. What is this song saying to me? Let me express it. And he plays his solo and that's that. 
I mean, there might be a couple of takes or overdubs, but when you don't plan out your stuff and you're just playing within that moment, it allows you to come up with some great stuff. And Richie is definitely, you know, one of the great soloists for guitar um, that that I've ever heard. Even though I'll, I'll fully admit I'm pretty sheltered when it comes to exploring music. Um, still, I, I will still say that. Um, so that's Self-Portrait. Our next song is our first cover song on the album, Black Sheep of the Family, which, as I said earlier, had been posed to Purple. That would have been really interesting. I'd love to have heard David Coverdale sing this song, maybe with some backups from Glenn Hughes. Uh, but this was originally recorded by a band called Quatermass. And this will be eventually re-recorded by Rainbow in recent years with Ronnie Romero on vocals. And that was released as one of the singles. So uh, we'll get to that at some point. But for now, here is the Richie Blackmore's Rainbow version of Black Sheep of the Family. Well, if you were looking for me to expand on my cowbell comments, there you go. (laughs) There was some more cowbell. I really like the way that that was used, though. Those two quick hits and then the snare. uh, Very unique. I really like that. Then a great opening solo from Richie. Wonderful vocal from Ronnie. I mean, this this story is just, this guy is just a complete mess. You know, and I I just, I have this feeling, I just want to reach into the song and, and just, you know, drip some soap down on the guy and get them all cleaned up so he can get his life back together. Uh, I've just always pictured a guy in like a really big like parka and his face is barely sticking out from the, you know, the, the little hole where you can zip it up. Like the kind of parkas that we had where they, they came with a very uh, hefty hood, well furred, I will say. Uh, But yeah, it's, it's just a fun song. It's a fun story. Um, It's just this guy like just going, Hey, I'm a mess and fully admitting it which is cool. But, you know, Ronnie just delivers it with such a believability that, you know, how can you not enjoy a good story? Great bass work on this too. You know, I I don't know much about Craig Gruber outside of this album, but from what I've heard him do, I would say he was a pretty talented bass player. And I, I have to wonder, was Richie just like, you know what, I'm keeping Ronnie, let's just clean everybody else out because I don't know why he wouldn't have kept a bass player that had that kind of playability. Maybe it was too much for him. I don't know. I mean, I could speculate in all kinds of directions on why, but in the end, it doesn't matter because it happened and that's that. So now it's time to slow things down a little bit with a wonderful song. Uh, And again, I think this song really shows a lot about what Ronnie can do. uh, Ronnie James Dio can do as a singer, um, how versatile he is outside of just singing 
some rock and roll. And this one is called Catch the Rainbow. Love the synthesizer on that. Just that sort of, you know, the, the way that the oscillators work, just opening and closing the envelope like that. Uh, I love that. There's another song uh, that, that has a similar feel to it. It just has a little bit of a cold edge. And that would be uh, Please Don't Judas Me by Nazareth off the Hair of the Dog album. Um, believe I covered that already on the show. But uh, yeah, I love the feel of that. It just adds this um, autumn chill to it. You know, like there's gray clouds and uh, you're just waiting for the rain to come in and you feel that wind just nipping at your neck. I, I just love sounds like that, that just bring me into such an emotional state right off the bat without even having the song tell me how to feel. Um, but it's it's a longer song, but it's just it's so gentle and a, a beautiful delivery. Um, there's some really nice vocals at the end. There's some strings on here. I'm going to guess that's probably Mellotron, though. I don't know what kind of budget they had for this album, being as that it was their first. They were an unknown quantity. Richie was really coming off of his Deep Purple fame and his uh, you know reputation as a virtuoso. You know all the stuff he did with Joe Meek and Three Musketeers and whatever. Uh, so I'm really not sure what kind of budget they had to put this album out, but uh, I'm going to guess that's probably a Mellotron that was playing. And a great ending vocal delivery from Ronnie as the song fades off into the distance too. Just an absolute gem. Um, you know, and on a good rock album, it's it's nice to have a slower song now and then. You got to break things up a little bit. You can't just have hard driving music all the time. Even Metallica has slow parts on their albums. And, um, you know, you got you to take a breath here and there musically. Very important. Uh, so that would be Catch the Rainbow. And there's a great version of it on, on stage, which I'll get to when I get to it. Our next song is an interesting one. It is called Snake Charmer.
you know, this is another one of those songs that just makes me wonder why you would get rid of a bass player that can play this kind of stuff. I mean, the potential of the kind of music that you can create when you've got this good of a player is pretty wide. You know, um, I, I would really be curious to know. But in any case, uh, another great song, a, another very moody song, especially the backing vocals really bring out uh, uh, the mood for me in this one. It's it's just got such a presence to it that I think is so unique to this album because the backups that we're hearing here are really, I can't remember there being backups quite like this on any of the other albums that Ronnie did. So it's it's a very unique production. And speaking of the production, I think the mix is fantastic on this album. Um, I do like the album cover. I, I like the, you know, the guitar castle sort of thing with the rainbow behind it. Um, it was very colorful. It really gave me a lot to look at and a lot of detail to enjoy while I was listening to the album. So I've always enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, this is another song that just, it just really strikes me in a way that nothing else that this band did uh, really does. And great bass line, nice solid drums. Again, there's some cowbell in there. Uh, we didn't hear it much in this, but you, you know, if you listen to the full song, you'll hear it. There's actually a fill that comes in uh, that's really based around the cowbell. Uh, really cool stuff, but great vocal, great keyboards. Um, really love the bass on this song. And man, uh, uh, just a, a very well put together song, I have to say. And that leads us to a very well-known song from Rainbow covered by Blackmore's Night, of course. Uh, I know there's been some cover versions of this song as well. Uh, one of my favorites is this is one of the, this is probably the only Richie guitar solo I've ever been able to play. Uh, that says a lot for me not being a guitarist in any way, shape, or form. I'm sure I did not pull it off with perfect precision. However, I got the gist of it a couple of times when I've tried to play it. Uh, but it's it's not about the technicality. It's about playing something for the song. And I think what he wrote here really fits. Um, really gentle vocal from Ronnie. A again, showing me how heavy this album is not. And not just because it's more of a ballad feeling song, but it just there's just a gentle feel to this whole album that I I really enjoy and I find very unique. And here is some Temple of the King. Richie bringing out the acoustic for this one. And there's really nice acoustic playing on this. Definitely a window to the future of what he would create with Blackmore's Night, uh, very much in that style, vocally, uh, lyrically, and musically. But it's a great song. Uh, again, the strings, I'm pretty sure that's the Mellotron, but uh, just adds, again, so much presence. One simple thing can just add so much presence. I'm hearing at least two guitar tracks 
during that chorus. There may be another layer in there. I'm not sure, but I'm hearing at least two, one mainly in the left ear and one slightly in the right ear. But it's just a beautiful sound, a great recording too. You know, acoustics can be a little tricky to record sometimes depending on the frequencies, but this just, the plucking is, it's all there. You hear every little note that he's picking. And I love that. Uh, Great vocal, very simple drums, nothing overplayed on this song at all. And I honestly, I'm glad that they added drums. I think you could do this song without them. But I like that they're there for this one. I think that it does add a a nice presence to the song. Although I think if they'd have done it without, it would have been a perfectly fine song. Uh, I don't think I've ever realized that before (laughs) until just this moment. And as a drummer saying that a song could do okay with no drums, well, I probably just lost my mind. But that's how I feel in any case. Uh, Next up is probably my... If there's a song that I sometimes skip on the album, it's probably this one. It's a very heavy piano, uh, you know, quick piano strike song, you know, kind of stuff that I'm not really a fan of that kind of playing. I think of like Little Richard when I think of that style. Uh, But it's still a good song. Uh, It's it's upbeat. It's uh, a fun one. It's got another great bass line in it. And it's called If You Don't Like Rock and Roll. It's actually a very short song at only two minutes and 37 seconds, and it does have a lot of energy in it. I'll give it that. I I just, I'm not a huge fan of the piano anymore. I've just heard so much of it that uh, even I don't write with it a whole lot anymore. Um, I do enjoy James Sizemore's albums, though. Uh, Very, very beautifully played piano, and there's, you know, some great Philip Glass stuff out there. But in general, I'm just not a huge fan of of the piano these days. But I think it's very well played here. There's some really great solo work from Mickey Lee Soul. Uh, no cowbell in this song that I remember, but uh, yeah, it's a short one. It's kind of in and out. Um, there's some really great bass moments in here too. I love the bass sound. It's kind of funky, um, which which I find interesting. But it's uh, yeah, a really nice song. It's just one that I'm kind of like, eh. I, I just kind of want to get to 16th century green sleeves because that's one of my favorites. 
um, both the live version and the uh, album version here of 16th Century Greensleeves are just fantastic. Um, it's one of those songs that, you know, even though it's a bit longer, um, I just kind of wish like it would go on more. I don't want that party to end. So let's check it out. Here's a little bit of 16th Century Greensleeves. You know, I, I love the vocal on this. Um, there's some great lyrics to the story. It's a very powerful song. Uh, great guitar solo from Richie, of course. Again, very simple drums, really just backing the song up. Nothing overplayed. Because I do feel like there's there's parts that when Gary played some of these fills, they're kind of, you know, a little bit much. But I'm so used to them that I really don't think of them that way anymore. But there's definitely some good stuff in this song. Um, it's it's just got, again, a, a certain flow to it that really just feels good listening to a song. Great vocal delivery. Uh, bass doesn't particularly stand out in this one for me. There's some nice keyboards in it. But overall, just a, a great song. Odd memory that I have uh, just while I was pulling up this clip was uh, playing a game called Crossbows and Catapults with my brother on the kitchen table. It was a physical game where you had uh, one team had a crossbow, the other had a catapult. You had these castles that were built out of plastic pieces and the object was to destroy the other person's castle. I think you had to knock over their flag or something. And you shot these physical discs at each other using either the crossbow or the catapult. And we sat across the table. This was around Christmas time. And uh, we each had our cassette players and we were each listening to music. I know I was listening to a lot of Emerson, Lake and Palmer at the time, but this is one of the albums I had on cassette. And I remember listening to this song and setting up that game. Um, very nice memory. So that would have been around Christmas time. So probably the following year to that spring when I first remember getting the album. Um, I could be off on the time when we actually got it, but that's the earliest memories that I have of it anyway. Uh, but either way, a great song and a great version of it on the live album that we'll be checking out here pretty soon. And that brings us to our last track already. There's only nine on this album, um, you know, which is pretty standard for, for albums back then. Nowadays, we try to squeeze as much onto every CD as we possibly can. It's kind of ridiculous. But uh, this is a cover of a Yardbird song, our second and final cover on the album. The Yardbird's version of Still I'm Sad was, wow, it is just slow and painful and gut-wrenching. And Richie saw something in this song, and I'm so glad he did because I love this version. Uh, they would go on to do another version of it on Stranger in a Saw, which is currently the last Rainbow album. And that one came out in 1995 with Doogie White on vocals. Uh, but this one uh, is an instrumental uh, with the exception of some backing vocals to it uh, very far in the background. But let's check out a little bit of Still I'm Sad. Mm -hmm. 
There's that cowbell we've been missing for the last couple of songs. Uh, very similar to You Fool No One from Deep Purple's Burn album, but a little bit of a variation on that. Uh, I actually like the sound. I think it's a really cool groove that the drums are playing here. The, the kick and snare are very straightforward, but that cowbell really throws a twist into it and really drives the song forward. Um, great guitar playing from Richie. There's uh, a nice almost question and answer period that he does by himself within the song in the solo section, uh, which I really like. And uh, there's an incredible version of this on the live album. Uh, Cozy Powell just playing to the hilt on it. Uh, Tony Carey, everybody on that song is just fantastic. But this is um, this is the studio version. It's really rich and full. I love it. Towards the end, when the the, the backing vocals or choir sound comes in, uh, it's really really nice. And I I don't think that was the Mellotron. I think that was actual either Ronnie or a choir or something. But uh, it just has that sound to it that sounds a little bit too real to me for what a Mellotron could do. I could be wrong. It could just be beautifully blended in, you know, very possible. But in any case, I love this version of the song. It's one of my favorite Rainbow pieces. I've listened to it many times and will probably listen to it many times again. But this album, you know, I really appreciate you guys listening to this show. This is, a, like I said, a very influential album for me. Um, <laughs> we played Still I'm Sad uh, a few times down in the basement with my brother on guitar and me on drums. And uh, boy, I did not understand the dynamics of this song by any means. Uh, but it's it's a fun one to play once you get it, you know, once you get the groove and, and uh, if, if you're comfortable playing on a cowbell, because it really has a whole different feel than like a snare drum or a cymbal or anything. Uh, it's, it's just hard and metal and it has a different, uh, you know, response when you hit it with the stick. So, uh, yeah, it's a challenging instrument to play if you're playing something like this until you get really used to how it works. But in any case, yeah, this is such a great album. Um, so many memories for me. And it, through this whole show, I've just been remembering sitting in that front room with the headphones on. And we had this pair of headphones that was, you know, they were really heavy plastic back in the late 70s and just very bulky and had like long curly cord and um, much like our telephone did. Only this was a little bit thicker. And um yeah, just just thinking about sitting in that front room, listening to this album over and over again, and then eventually on cassette, um, the smell of that LP. There was just something really uh, electric smelling about it, you know. And I don't know if it was because of the particular plastic sleeve it came in or what, but yeah, that's all so very vivid, vivid to me even now after all these years. But it's a great album. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you're not familiar with it, go check out the full songs. Uh, you know, I think it's one that that you would love to have in your catalog if you're not already a fan of Rainbow, but kind of dig what you're hearing here. Um, you know, you're getting a, a really good solid idea of what's contained in this. There's obviously a lot of parts we're not getting to, but it's a very, very good album. So thank you guys for joining me for this episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I'll be back again with another episode before you know it. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>